Broadcasting live from the Banshees of Ed Sheeran, this is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Seamus Connolly. And I'm Garrett Strother, who's struggling to come up with any Ed Sheeran lyric that he can fit <laughs> into this intro. Hey man, I only know Ed Sheeran from that one scene in that one weird Beatles movie where he gets dunked on and... I, that's like the only scene of that movie I ever saw because I heard it was kind of lame. I did not see that movie, but I know for a fact I have described his appearance on Game of Thrones on air on this podcast. Oh, yeah. Before. Oh, right. Oh, my God. So Absolutely ridiculous. But he's not in the movie that we're talking about today, thank goodness, because we're actually talking about the Banshees of Inishirin, which we prepped with our In Bruges episode what seems like a thousand years ago, but we're, we're finally coming around to it. But first, we do have some news, and for the first time in weeks, we have more than one piece of news. <laughs> yeah. Starting off with the Oscar nominations, we're not going to run through the full list here, but Seamus, overall, what were your initial reactions? We're going to talk about it again a little later on, but I love seeing Brendan Fraser up there. All of the nominations for Everything Everywhere, I'm, I'm really excited about because I adore that movie. Top Gun is nominated for, like, every single category, and I, at the very least, that means that it'll get some fun recognition, because I love that movie so much, too. Also, because it's sitting in, like, the best picture category for some reason. I mean, I loved it, but I don't know. Two blockbusters in the best picture category, and neither of them are Black Panther Wakanda forever. (laughs) (laughs) Of course not. Oh, God. We got to see the Fablemans together quite a while ago and we kind of predicted that that was going to get thrown in best picture regardless because it's the movie that it is and it's so Hollywood it's ev- it's everything that the Academy loves I feel like and it's also Spielberg so it's, it's hard to say no to that what are your top predictions for for some of these you think like there's a lot of good stuff a lot of stuff that would win if it was in a year with like a lot less in the in the category but there's a lot of stacked stuff I am shocked that Fablemans didn't get nominated for cinematography. I feel like the cinematography category makes no sense to me. (laughs) But to answer your actual question. Oh, yes, please. Probably everything everywhere, because I had to pull up. It's so crazy that we have 10 Best Picture nominees. I mean, that's been the case for, what, 10 years, 13 years now? It still seems like a lot, though, whenever whenever you get down into it. But I think everything everywhere probably has the best shot at it. Obviously... I don't know, I've not been hearing that much buzz for Fablemans, even though it's such a Hollywood Mm -hmm. movie, but it's also not the typical yay, yay, rah, rah, I love movies movie that you and I both went into it expecting. It's much more of a family drama. Mm -hmm. It's much more cynical about Hollywood and filmmaking and art than I was expecting it to be. What do you think for Best Picture, though, Seamus? Oh, well... I feel like Everything Everywhere has got it in the bag. I want to see All Quiet on the Western Front. Uh, I, it's very good. I've heard it's great. heard it's real sad. Wonder why. You know, that's I, I'm, I'm in for that. I'm a little surprised to see... I mean, I'm not really surprised to see Avatar up here, but maybe Elvis? Uh, from, from what you told me, Elvis was, was a weird one. I'm surprised to see that up here. Everything else really comes down to, is it... Everything Everywhere or Banshees for me, and I, I don't know if Banshees has the legs for a best picture, even though I we're going to get into how much I enjoyed it later. All four of its stars are nominated for acting categories, though, so that's that is a pretty great. big deal. I'm into that. That's fantastic. 
One more thing about the Oscars that I just found out right now. How is Jimmy Kimmel still hosting the Oscars? Wait, has it not? You're lying to me. I'm I'm looking at the thing right now. The 95th Academy Awards, March 12, 2023, host Jimmy Kimmel. That's insane. Am I? Is this? A, we're just gonna get the same Jimmy Kimmel shtick. He's gonna make a joke about what happened last year with Will Smith. Maybe. Do you think they're gonna do that? This might be a weird conversation. How do? You, how are they gonna play <laughs> bringing up? Will Smith and all that. I think I read that Chris Rock turned down another presenter appearance. Wow. I think I read that. That was months ago, though, so who knows if that's changed. They should make him and Will Smith co-host the Oscars together. That should be the <laughs> real... That would be the most entertaining thing of all time. Bad boys for your consideration? <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, I think that probably Kimmel comes out. I think he does his opening monologue. They usually do a musical number at the Oscars because they think right, the yeah. is. he walks out after the musical number. He's not going to say anybody's name. He's going to say there will be no hand-to-hand combat this year. Or yeah, something yeah, like yeah. That. Yeah, that'll probably be it. Because if Chris Rock's not coming out, then they're not going to do anything. Will Smith is banned from the yeah, Oscars. He... His Oscar bait movie went nowhere this year emancipation okay, the black and white one i just kept seeing trailers for it on reddit and i was like i do not want to see this movie over and over again oh you know what a movie i bet you do want to see is seamus what's that garrett the untitled feature-length wallace and gromit film debuting on netflix in 2024 yes! oh my goodness the excitement when i read that headline i love it wallace and gromit me and you are wallace and gromit folks we, we've watched it growing up. I had the VHS tapes. I think the Were Rabbit. Do you like Were Rabbit? I, I think do. it's solid. I don't like it as much as the shorts. No, I mean, nothing could touch the original shorts. I mean, there's no way. But Were Rabbit is, is fun. It's got charm. It's, it's fairly funny from what I remember. I mean, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I, I was a fan. I'm, I'm very excited for this new one. No excuses for me and you to not play the computer get the telltale game anymore i i, I have, have been thinking in... about it ever since i read this news <laughs> yes dude it's in my steam wish list it is like number one in my wish list i will buy that i we will play it on a big tv somewhere this is all this news cycle talking about the 30th anniversary of wrong trousers academy award-winning short film oh there it is there's a lot of things that they announced in conjunction with this but one of them is that they're making a vr game for the meta quest that's walsing oh no kidding that is interesting. So hopefully that'll hop over to a VR platform that you or I might actually own someday. Yeah, so, I was going to say, you don't own any of that stuff, do you? I'll say this about the new Wallace and Gromit. I'm pretty skeptical. Peter Salas has been dead for six years. That is, I mean, that is true, but I feel like if they can get a fraction of the spirit of what was in even the Were-Rabbit, it, it'll still be, I think top quality i mean maybe i'm hoping too hard and i'm gonna be fully disappointed when it when it comes around but i just think it's such an exciting idea we haven't there's been no wallace and gromit content for so long i'm not worried about the story peter salas is wallace i just don't know if i'm gonna be able to accept another voice coming out of that weird little eyeball puppet you know i'm gonna be watching those old shorts on a loop the three of them before this new one comes out so it might be a little jarring when we finally get to the new stuff and it's it's just even so different it'll be it'll be a little weird in my dream world they'll be like actually we've been working on this movie for a billion years because that's how long it takes to make stop-motion animated films we have all and, the archives and peter salas actually did record wallace before he died but i feel like they would have said that when peter salas died yeah or when they announced this movie or at, at some point yeah 
I'm going to be cautiously optimistic, but that is my one concern, is that I don't know if I'll be able to accept anybody as Wallace other than other than Peter Salas. How about a weirder, darker is, voice actor change that's that we have to transition. talk about? Look at us. Okay. <laughs> oh, my goodness. This is it's a little different tone on this piece of news, but Adult Swim and Hulu have officially cut ties with Justin Roiland. But they've both announced that Rick and Morty and Solar Opposites will continue without him. Good for them. Yeah, I, I, whatever, you know, get, get rid of the man. He sucks so, so bad. Terrible. I mean, he's, he's always kind of publicly been a huge jerk and. That's part of the thing. I feel like I'm, I'm surprised to see people who are surprised about this. Yeah, right. I very much enjoy Rick and Morty still. The newer seasons kind of still hit and. Solar Opposites has been an absolute revelation for me. I I love that show so much, but it's always been kind of there that he sucks. I feel like these shows specifically, though, lend themselves to, like, some alternate dimension, time travel, some stupid but fair way to just boot the man. Or there are a ton of people who sound just like those characters that they could hire, and it wouldn't bother me that much, you know? Everybody has a Rick and Morty. He's the most imitated <laughs> voice actor working today. A little while ago, there's there's this TikTok guy who does, like, absolutely flawless impressions of both of them. Whatever, hire this TikTok guy, and I'm, I'm going to be fine about it. A take I've been seeing a lot on social media, which I do think would be really funny, is just bring in Chris Lloyd and Michael J. Fox. <laughs> oh my god, that would be amazing. That would be hilarious. I would be very, very much about that. I've also seen just like pop into a new dimension and fully just have the character say, oh, I guess this is what our voices sound like, some sci-fi, whatever. Mm -hmm. You know what? Just kill those characters off. And it's just about Summer and Jerry and Beth for the rest of the show. And they call it Rick and Morty still. I would watch that. Rick and Morty are often the least interesting parts of that show. (laughs) So speaking of two insufferable people who spend all their time together (laughs) and hate each other. What are the characters' names in this movie? I was kind of shocked that I didn't have to watch this. Okay, no, this is this is main. <laughs> we have to transition, Gary. Okay. Transition. For today's main segment, we are talking about the brand new Martin McDonough film, The Banshees of Inishirin, starring our boys Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell. Every time we talk about something that came out in the last six months, it is brand new. It's brand new to us, buddy. <laughs> That's true. That's true. We were very excited for this movie. We like Martin McDonough. We like In Bruges. We covered that on the show. If you want to learn more about our thoughts on In Bruges, go listen to that episode. Seamus, what'd you think of Banshees? Loved it, Garrett. I sat down and I was like, well, it's a pretty long movie. It's going to be so dry, Irish, hoy, hoy, all that. And I, I sat down. I knew I was going to like it regardless because we know these men work well together. But, I mean, I know it came out last year. Best movie of 2023. Fight me on it. It, it is so incredible. <laughs> hilarious. Disgusting. Oh, so abs- gross. Shot beautifully. And... I think it's the same music composer that was with in Bruges. I... Carter Burwell, my man, yes. Yes. He does all the Coens stuff? Yeah, oh, all around a fabulous movie. I thought it was perfect. Five stars, letterboxed review. It is top of the pops. I, I thought it was amazing. But what are your basic thoughts on this one here? Liked it a lot. Probably liked it more than in Bruges, which is kind of crazy. I was kind of going to say that too, but I didn't want to sound like an insane person. This movie has more nuanced humanity than in Bruges does. Mm-hmm. 
that's at the cost of its comedy is not nearly as broad. Its comedy is also a lot darker than in Bruges, which is an insane thing to say about a movie <laughs> yeah. where a guy kills himself because he thinks he shot a child's head off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a similar weird enchanting nature about this movie that in Bruges has that Seven Psychopaths and Three Billboards did not. It's like this weird pseudo, you're all, you're almost looking over your shoulder the whole time, like, is there some kind of strange, dreamlike, mythological influence on something in this world? But it has this really brutal, grounded, real tone to everything else, where it almost feels dissonant, but yet the eeriness of it all is just, it's layered throughout the entire movie. I completely agree. It, in, in Bruges, they're really spiritually sequels to each other mm. not just because of the people who are involved obviously but the serenity and abject beauty of the character's surroundings is not enough to compensate for the absolute misery of having to live with each other oh it's flawlessly done i want to watch this movie again maybe i gotta give myself a minute it is still an incredibly dark film but i wish i saw it in the theater but i also wasn't really lost on anything watching it on my my nice big tv i feel like no i think that this movie actually is one of the better looking movies that i've watched at home this award season hbo's streaming codec is also really good so like something like mm. all quiet on the western front which we talked about during our news segment that i streamed on netflix because it's a netflix original at least in the united states good looking it's actually nominated for cinematography all quiet on the western front is i should look up if banshee's venturing is i was just about to ask you that question actually not nominated mm. for best cinematography not to say that there's anything particularly groundbreaking about the way the camera moves or anything like that but ireland just looks like that i guess it's gorgeous <laughs> yeah yeah it's those coastlines, those cliffs on the ocean, it's it's stunning. The color in everything from nature to the textures of their clothes to their skin to their hair is so vibrant. It really is. We were we were kind of talking before about the the wardrobe in this movie too is is stunning. It is dressing this movie up perfectly for what it is. I would wear every single sweater in this entire movie. <laughs> oh, Brendan Gleeson's got a great coat on for a lot of this too. That just looks oh so woolen, so itchy and warm. How do you think they got Colin Farrell to look like such a goober? <laughs> I feel like I've seen him look like a goober plenty in his movies. But he's so handsome. No, and, he is a handsome gentleman. And it's not like they really... I mean, I'm sure there was makeup and all that kind of stuff, but it's not like they put any crazy prosthetics on him. It's not He's not the Batman. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. He's just Colin Farrell. I mean, part of it's probably that he's not rocking the beard. There's a couple key moments where he, he has some, some breakdowns that I, I can't help but look at him a little sideways. He, he does look, a str look like a strange man, and everyone is kind of like weird island people in this movie, but him especially, I feel like. His appearance matches the character very well. He looks like a child, and in a lot of ways, his character is a child. There's an inherent immaturity to him, happiness and naivete, that comes through really, really well. And I mean, that's the physicality, too. And I don't want to discount Farrell's performance by being like, how they make him look like such a good right, when right. There's that special, awkward McDonough energy that are, are in a few key characters in his films that he he's channeling to a T. It almost seems effortless the way he slips into that. This was an absolutely banner year for Farrell. I'm not the first one to say that. The Batman 
He had After Yang, this movie, and he had 13 Lives on Amazon, which is the only one of these movies that I haven't seen, but I also understand that he's really good in. Man, God bless him. I, I think he's a phenomenal actor so the more the more movies he's in the better i think he his i've only seen the batman in this one in terms of the stuff he's put out this year but i was pretty blown away both times they're fairly different characters but he really he kills it you know as good as he is in this movie and he is terrific he's also supported by an outstanding additional cast of characters because really there are five prominent characters in this movie i would say and four of them are nominated for academy awards rightfully so because we've got his sister Siobhan is wonderful in this and the boy who plays dominic amazing wait who's the fifth do you do you say i i consider the old banshee woman the banshee ah, herself yes. of, yeah. of <laughs> she was haunting to say the least she yeah. was quite a banshee carrie condon is his sister who i've seen her in lots of smaller roles but i've never really seen her in a substantial role before she's amazing in this yeah seriously she is acting the hell out of that role and with her character being so surrounded by the absurd brutality of this story she she is doing great and then barry keegan your favorite eternal seamus i know he is (laughs) dominic was an eternal dominic is an eternal yeah what that is flabbergasting to me i guess i only know him from this the weirdest role i've ever seen of a a drunk boy but you actually you know him from your other favorite colin farrell movie of 2022 shams is he in the batman he's the joker he's the new joker what are wow that is not what i expected you to say man that is that is wild he's the new joker wow which god bless him if the joker is a drunk young boy that that he's gonna be (laughs) he's gonna be right on I don't really like the look that they present at the end of the Batman of that character, but Barry Keegan is a great actor. I'm excited to see him continue. I would rather him not see him do comic book stuff, to be honest, (laughs) because it's so much more interesting to let him do roles like this. But it's it's an interesting new direction, and, you know, Matt Reeves is doing a fun thing here. I think if there was going to be any superhero thing i would see him in it would be that but also i guess apparently the eternals which i still will never see maybe i just don't want to watch it man i will say i would rather see barry keegan do a different matt reeves project which is i think we didn't talk about this in news even i would rather him do the buster keaton biopic oh, that yeah. Rami malik's starring in kind of over Rami malik this is also a weird tangent to go on but meh whatever i, I don't know i don't need him anymore your Andy dropping Woody into, into the <laughs> yeah. trash can full of playing cards. Exactly, exactly. He could stick around in uh, in uh, Night at the Museum, but that's really all I need him in. It's weird to try to talk about this movie without spoiling it, because what is, what is a spoiler, you know? <laughs> Don't get all philosophical on me, Garrett. Because the plot of the movie is Brendan Gleeson is... Colin Farrell's character's best friend. He's been Colin Farrell's best friend for, it sounds like, decades. That's what it seemed like to me. And one day decides he's done with Colin Farrell. And he's not talking to him anymore, and they're not grabbing a pint at the pub anymore. How do you navigate a social break so abrupt? Which, it's a very McDonough concept, not entirely cartoonish, but they make decisions and interact with each other in ways that are insane. Everyone, down to the the minor side characters in this movie, are kind of crazy people. But that also goes back into the idea that like this island, the island itself, this weird, isolated community, 
are just all weird, bizarre people that are trying to live their weird, bizarre life off the mainland. Because you think about something like In Bruges, where it's a very grounded story about guilt and being a hitman in a criminal organization. The way that that entire film is structured is very grounded and normal. But then you have a sequence where one character is trying to kill himself, and so to get him to stop him from killing himself, another character points a gun at his head. <laughs> yeah. And there's this just kind of this social non-compute <laughs> that's happening, where characters get so hung up on a specific thing, a specific choice that they make, or a specific idea of what they're setting out to do, and will not budge from it. I'm sorry, I really am trying to hold my tongue here with the grudge-bearing spoilers that are that are throughout this entire movie. Final thoughts, I want as many Oscars as possible in this movie's pocket, and I think that... You can have nine. You want nine? You settle for I'll, nine? I'll take nine. Nine is good. Any Anything above five, this is an incredibly deserving movie for all of the praise that it's been getting, and I would definitely like to watch it again. I don't, I don't know if I can definitively say that it is favored over In Bruges for me. In Bruges is such a classic. But I've, I've had a lot longer to process in Bruges, to be fair. Yeah, exactly, exactly. At the very least, this is my McDonough double feature. I can take or leave seven psychopaths and three billboards, but if I got in Bruges and I got Manchies, I'm I'm set. Yeah, it's definitely one of my favorite movies of the last year. We don't really do that on the show. We don't usually do a here's all of our favorite movies wrap up. Oh yeah, a little Spotify wrapped. Or as Liz Lemon would say, you're in wrap up, wrap, wrap, wrap up. A classic reference that everyone will get, Garrett. <laughs> I can hear her singing, but I don't know how many other people can. <laughs> but yeah, definitely one of my favorite movies to come out recently, which I've been excited for this since it was announced that McDonough was reteening mm. with the boys, as it were. This really is one for the fellas and how they should stop hanging out. <laughs> yeah, develop new insane relationships. <laughs> but let's talk spoilers. Seamus... Someday, I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to tell you that if you don't stop asking me to podcast, I'm going to cut off all the fingers on my hand. And that, to you, is in a video podcast episode? You don't want to play five-finger filet like an Aliens, you know? You don't want to do that? My dog is sitting next to me with my cheap shears that I own for some reason. That dog licking Brendan Gleeson's little stumpy finger is upsetting. That is an upsetting image, man. (laughs) very because it's a comedy pretty much a straight comedy for the first 30 40 minutes and then Brennan Gleason turns to Colin Farrell and he says I'm gonna cut off my fingers did you think I mean I knew what movie I was watching exactly so I had an idea but what did you think he would go as far as he did in this movie if it were any other director I would say <laughs> no every single time Colin Farrell did anything even a little bit to cross him in this movie I was like, that pinky's going, man. I was Those like, digits are gone. But he didn't even start with the pinky. He started with his index finger. Yeah, what a... Qu- he went index finger to palm. He went whole hand. And I don't want to get too ahead of myself here, but my goodness gracious. Now, to be fair, I don't play the fiddle. I'm not a great <laughs> composer of Irish folk music, like Brendan Gleeson's character in this movie, Colm Doherty, is. Colm Sonny Larry. <laughs> I don't know which finger is, like, the most important on your hand to play the fiddle with. Once he gets, you know, the index finger off, he's still, like, he's still jamming. He still can do it with his his middle and his ring, it looks like. I love the image after he goes all five of him (laughs) sitting 
bleeding in the pub trying to conduct <laughs> all of the other musicians to play oh his, my God. his music. What a maniac. Swear to God, watching Brendan Gleeson whip his own f- bloody fingers at the front door of Colin Farrell is truly iconic. He is so insane. And i that's another thing I, want, I wanted to ask you about. Like, he is insane. Like, he is so messed up, right? They're both crazy, I think, is the is the real problem. I mean, he is way more insane than, than <laughs> Colin Farrell, just so we're clear. Granted, I did think at a certain point towards the midway of this movie, I thought it was going to turn into, like, a finger fight. It was going to be like, oh, yeah, oh, you're going to cut off your fingers if I talk to you? Well, I'll cut off my fingers if you cut off your fingers. <laughs> and he's just going to be throwing fingers back and forth. He's... Definitely insane. And I think they make that very clear from the get-go. The only person who is normal even a little bit is Carrie Condon's character, Colin Farrell's sister, who he lives with. They're both sad and lonely, but Colin Farrell (laughs) doesn't know that he's sad and lonely, so he thinks he's just good. Their relationship together on screen was something that actually kind of warmed my heart a little bit. I know he's kind of a jerk to her a lot, but like their sweet moments together, I I felt really heartwarmed by that. You can tell he's been dumb his whole life, that she has looked after him his whole life and probably sacrificed some things. I think we get a lot of insight in the excellent scene of when they have Dominic over for the night. Yeah, brutal to watch. And he asks her, were you never wild, is what he says. And she goes, (laughs) was I never wild? (laughs) It's a great interaction, but I think it kind of implies that there were things that she wanted that she gave up. And Mm -hmm. part of that's because of where she's stuck, somewhere that repeatedly she's shown trying to get away from. She lives with her brother, who is a dunce and can't take care of himself, (laughs) and his best friend's a donkey named Jenny, who I want to be my best friend. Oh, Jenny was such a sweet girl. Jenny was such a sweet girl. Oh, yeah, past tense, choked on a fat finger. Good lord. (laughs) That's a very McDonough (laughs) thing, of, like, making you love this donkey so much and then killing it off in the stupidest way possible. That is such a turn in this movie because I feel so much for Colin Farrell when he turns to the dark side a little bit. That, that, that is like a weird new rebirth of his relationship at least towards the end with oh, Brendan Gleeson, but I felt such heartbreak for him turning from like all he wants is companionship and to live a comfortable, fine life on this island basically and then him turning to a vengeful, violent man. It really it really hurt me because I, I wanted his weird adult child purity that he has. I wanted that to kind of be nurtured, but I guess that's the entire problem that his character has with Brendan Gleeson and, and his sister. I also I think w- it's really interesting, and I don't know enough about the Irish Civil War, and I should have done more. I did some research after I watched the movie, but I should have done more to talk about it more articulately and more informed on the show. It's set on the backdrop of the Irish Civil War, and I'm assuming that there is thematic and allegorical resonance to that. Most definitely. It, it, it is as plain as it could be. But I'm assuming if you knew more about Irish history going the other way, I'm assuming that this movie is saying things about mm, the conflict mm. itself that I'm not picking up on because I don't have that cultural background. Well, it is interesting, though, that the, the, like, the characters themselves have this strange indifference to 
to the Civil War that they can literally hear the cannons firing and they can see the smoke billowing from the cities on the on the mainland. And the jerk cop, he doesn't care who's getting executed. He wants to see some bloodshed. And he doesn't just want to see it. He wants to do it. He wants. Yeah, to... he wants to be act an active participant in an execution. And Colin Farrell picks up the paper and he's like, "Oh, it's just the Civil War again." And he just like you know what tosses it across the table. Like he doesn't. No, no one on this little island cares that that it's happening but it's so, like you're saying so thematically relevant to this it, like micro version of best friends turning on each other for for reasons that are are less than they can understand but they're so passionate about it nonetheless and there's also so much hypocrisy i think in brendan gleason's character who gets so mad at the policeman who is also dominic's abusive alcoholic father mm. he's all mad that, hey, you don't even care what side you're executing you just want to go do violence Brother, I think you're being pretty petty about some yeah. about escalating violence yourself. He clearly thinks he's too good for this little existence on this little island anyway. That's the running theme of right, this character. Yes. I can understand that sudden pull towards legacy and wanting to leave behind something after they're gone in a way that even if it was just the community on their island, he wants to be remembered for his music, his name to be inked on paper that can't fade away like he feels like he is eventually going to but he is he's a selfish man he is an entirely selfish character i feel like and it's weird to be like nobody owes anybody their companionship but he kind of owes colin farrell something i feel like he owes him whatever a few decades worth of best friendship leads to when he finally hits that breaking point it's this kind of mutually assured destruction where the minute that Brendan Gleeson handles it not well, obviously Colin Farrell is too thick to leave well enough alone. Obviously he's got Dominic being the devil on his shoulder <laughs> tell him, yeah. well, you know, maybe if he likes you and you're angry, you just need to be angry all the time. And he definitely won't cut off all four of his remaining <laughs> fingers on his left hand. But he's dim. He's dim. <laughs> he he is, doesn't know. He's, he's drunk dim. at the time that is happening, too. They're drinking whatever liquor they steal from the policeman dad. We have not talked about Mrs. McCormick yet. The banshee oh, of the banshee. She's stealthy in that movie. They even say out loud they're having a conversation. There are no banshees on Inishirin. And they're like, yeah, well, whatever. But... This old lady is, like, beckoning people to their suicide. It's, like, crazy. They talk explicitly about Banshees being people who scream people to their deaths. That is what she is. She is a harbinger of death on this island. I mean, she literally predicts by the end of this month there will be a death, maybe two, on the island. And she's right. Three if you count Jenny. Never Mr. mind. In my brain, I was counting Colm, who does not die in this movie. I was pretty much expecting him to burn to death in that in that ending there. And, I mean, they, they pretty much let you believe that for for a good little while there but but i think that would be something too close to a comeuppance for, <laughs> for this film for the weird ambiguity and cruelty of this film speaking of cruel ambiguity that ending where it's like they are closer as bitter bitter enemies than they apparently at least in colm's mind were towards the end of their best friendship and now their their lives are interconnected in a way that's like strangely satisfying to them both there's only yeah. a massive wake of destruction and, and dead farm <laughs> animals yeah where's brendan gleason gonna live i don't know i'm glad his dog's okay though yes that was of i mean of course he wasn't gonna hurt that dog i knew he was gonna hurt that dog there's an empty bed at colin farrell's place <laughs> yeah, yeah that's true we haven't talked about 
Dominic's character very much, but he's clearly this young guy. We don't see any other young people in this movie. That is true. I didn't even think about that he is like the only person that's under 50 years old around here. So he's the he's the outlier already, but he's also, as everybody makes perfectly clear to him constantly, the dimmest man <laughs> on the island. And the only man dimmer than Colin Farrell. <laughs> he seems to have some weird peace with it, though. He's just like a weird, like, talk about a goober. He's just, like, <laughs> bouncing around, stealing booze. He's like, yeah, I'll get my ass beat later, but, like, it's pretty much fine. <laughs> it's sad. It's so sad that it really this is. is his entire existence. Did you think, this is a, a connection that might not be anything, but his introduction in this movie is him finding a tool to fish things out of the water uh-huh. and then he is, ends up drowning in my mind i was like was he drunkenly using this weird fishing tool to to go into this weird suicide lake and he slipped in because they no imply it was an accident but the well, weird banshee woman is super involved they somehow. say it's an accident i think it's pretty transparently a suicide i think him being introduced with the hook because he literally says, what would you do with something like this? Is exactly what he says. And then the last time we see it, or him for that matter, he's getting fished out of the lake with it. I wasn't sure where he was going with at the, his last scene with Siobhan, where he's like kind of stumbling through, you know, hitting on her or whatever. But I did not think it was going to, the last thing we were going to see was that and then smash cut to his corpse being fished out of the lake. Well, that's a wonderful scene, I think, because there's two different, scenes that are going on simultaneously mm. it all hangs in the way he phrases one question which is would someone like you ever fall in love with me and she takes that as he's hitting on me and wants me to fall in mm. love with him and that's a no from me i mean he definitely is hitting on her but he's asking would someone like you mm. ever fall in love with me and she says no to him and he's so dumb and so literal that i think that he takes that to mean that i am worthless he's been told he's worthless his whole life by his father by the whole island by even the only man who he seems to think is his friend and the only man he really seems to respect mm. disrespects him and falls to the same depravity and violence and cynicism that the rest of the island is beholden to and I think that's the breaking point for him is that I'm worthless and a woman that I respect and admire would never love me because that's what one woman who I respect and admire just said. And that's also off the back of also the entire movie. She's being asked, like, why doesn't anybody love you is basically what she's constantly asked by every jerk on this island. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, too, she is like contemplating suicide herself. She is standing on the shores being called in by the Banshee. You said that that's his last scene, but I don't think that is Dominic's last scene. Is it not? There's the scene later in the film where Colin Farrell is standing on the cliffs waving goodbye to Shaban as she leaves for the mainland. She goes to live her mm. life. In the background, far beyond Colin Farrell, also standing on the cliffs, you can see a black figure out of focus. And I assume when watching that that was the Banshee, that that was Mrs. McCormick. I did as well. I think that that was, that was Dominic, either about to or at least contemplating committing suicide. Interesting. Because from Siobhan's reaction, she's like very taken aback when she glances over and sees the second figure, but that, I, that could fit right into watching somebody that she had very sternly driven off from her standing on the cliffs ready to, ready to eat it. 
Well, that's a great interpretation. I like that a lot. Because, uh, I mean, the, the Banshee woman is in the background and being creepy throughout the entire movie. And I think that... that that's what they want you to think when you're watching that scene, is, oh, the Banshee's there. But this man is watching this woman take flight from the island, and I feel like there's something along... Going back to she's being told by everybody, oh, you're just, like, somebody nobody wants, and he is somebody that was rejected by somebody that nobody wants in mm-hmm. his mind. That is a very good interpretation, I'll say. After Shaban leaves, the letter, which is what closes the film pretty much, mm. Colin Farrell, where we learn that Dominic died and all the other things, and he lies to her, and he says that Jenny is great and sitting right next to him and that he's content with her leaving for this job. I think it also shows his growth that not all of his maturity is negative, per se, that he's trying to do the considerate thing for his sister, and Mm. by omitting all of the horrible things that have happened since her departure, is not pressuring her in any way to come back to a life that he knows she's unhappy Mm. with, which, at the beginning of the film, he is far too selfish to, I think, even consider. It really rounds out the weird angles of growth that Colin Farrell goes through in this, and it's like saving her from a life that she would be consistently miserable in, and then sinking himself further into the new weird chapter of his life that he knows only on this island, that he's finally not, still pretty dim probably, but not not as accepting of that. He He's fighting against it. He, he's making his new life with his new relationship with Colm, and I'm glad that sister made it out, I guess. I, I was pretty ready for her to, to take a dip in that, in that lake. Uplifting stuff from this movie, <laughs> yeah. Seamus. Oh, I will never take my fingers for granted ever again. Oh, it's so gnarly. I know we started the spoilers with this, but it's <laughs> I just, I keep coming back to it, man. It's rough. I, they don't they don't ever show him cutting them off, but just that lumbering stride up to the door with a dripping hand, what's left of a hand to, to throw them out there in pure spite it is horrifying. But want to move on to our reference now? Yeah. For today's pop culture reference, we're going to be talking about the careers of Kihi Kwan and Brendan Fraser. Two of the most awarded names in Hollywood this year are Kihi Kwan and Brendan Fraser. These two actors both appeared in beloved blockbuster films decades ago, but have been largely off the radar for years. This is a brief overview of both of their careers. Kihi Kwan's first acting role was at age 12, when he appeared as Short Round in the highly anticipated and much maligned Raiders of the Lost Ark sequel, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Despite appearing in other successful films like The Goonies and Encino Man, the latter of which also starred Brendan Fraser, Quan stopped acting when he had trouble finding opportunities, attending film school at USC and transitioning to behind-the-scenes roles, like assistant directing and fight choreography on films such as X-Men and Wong Kar-Wai's 2046. Quan has stated that while he told people he enjoyed being in these off-camera roles, he secretly missed acting. It wasn't until the success of 2018's Crazy Rich Asians that Quan was encouraged to resume acting and hired a talent agent. Two weeks later, he got a call to audition for Everything Everywhere All at Once, a role which has garnered universal acclaim and many award wins. Brendan Fraser's debut leading role in the 1992 comedy Encino Man launched his career, and he continued to rise with other leading parts in George of the Jungle in 1997 and The Mummy Trilogy between 1998 and 2008. After various onset injuries and the corporate backlash of a sexual assault report made by him, Frazier's career in Hollywood became less active after the 2008 release of Journey to the Center of the Earth, focusing more on smaller television roles including The Affair on Showtime and his ongoing role in DC's Doom Patrol, 
Frazier's film career was relaunched by his roles in No Sudden Move in 2021 and his acclaimed lead performance in last year's The Whale. Kwan's performance in Everything Everywhere All at Once and Fraser's in The Whale have been award season favorites this year in the Best Supporting Actor and Best Actor categories, respectively. Both of them were nominated for Academy Awards earlier this week, each being favored to win in their category. Kwan and Fraser have been reunited by the award season press cycle and have appeared together in various interviews and photo shoots where they express full support for the other's newly found success and their mutual love and respect for one another as people and performers. I especially loved that moment that Kiki Kwan shared at the Actors' Roundtable. I don't know if you watched that, Seamus. I definitely saw clips of him and Brendan Fraser in that roundtable. And they were talking about how that roundtable was the first time they'd seen each other since Encino Man. And Brendan Fraser went up to him and gave him a hug. And he said, we're still here. That's just really touching. And I think they're both... Mm obviously beloved Quan's story is more of a guy who never quite made it to where he wanted to be and is finally giving the opportunity to do that and Fraser's a guy who was where I think he probably wanted to be despite he says the quote I believe is he was being held together by hockey pads and duct tape making the third mummy movie oh my god yeah I've heard the stories on that one But he's a guy who was where he wanted to be and through awful physical trauma and also the trauma of going through a sexual assault by one of the most powerful people in Hollywood and essentially getting blacklisted for it, lost all of the standing that he had, which is really sad, but I'm really glad to see them both coming back. So much this award season, I've seen so many people being like, when are we going to get another mummy? When are we going to get a, yeah, a, a oh short God, yeah. round Disney plus series? And I also think it's kind of disrespectful to these guys that the thing that they're trying in a way, trying to get away from the legacy that's been chasing them or haunting them. Mm-hmm. We're like, okay, now you're, now you're an award season darling. So why don't you go back to the thing that we like you from? And it's great. I mean, I know Kiki Kwan has expressed interest in returning as short round, I, As has Brendan Fraser, I think he, I mean, maybe in a more joking sense, but he he's talked around about another Mummy sequel, oh, I think. certainly. They've both expressed interest in doing those, and if they are happy with those projects and they really want to do them, I think that's wonderful. But I think it's, it's the same thing of, like, now that they're back, don't you want them to be doing projects they're excited about? Like, the projects that they're excited about that got them to the point? where they're probably both going to soon be Academy Award winners. That's where I am right now. They, they've been giving powerhouse performances. And again, I haven't seen The Whale, but No Sudden Move was... He was great in that. And I'm pretty much rooting for everything everywhere, for every category that isn't going to Banshees of Insurin. I would like them to be happy in the roles that they're doing. And I know that they're going to give those top-of-the-line performances regardless. So, if they, I mean, hey, if they're... Having fun, they're going to do an Encino Man sequel together, even though I think there might have already been one of those without either of them. But but should we move on to save the rec center? Oh, yes, please. Let's do it. Save the rec center! Now it's time to save the rec center, where we give you our weekly recommendations. Garrett, what do you got this week? Well, I know you're going to be mad at me for recommending a, a Hulu sitcom that is not Solar Opposites. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see. But I have recently started, I'm three episodes in, to 
the Hulu original, I think it came out a few months ago, and it kind of, I was vaguely aware it came out, reboot. Keegan-Michael Key, Paul Reiser, Judy Greer, <clears throat> Rachel Bloom, Johnny Knoxville, and your personal friend Alex Triboli from American Vandal. Oh my god, that guy? Your personal friend, the guy from American <laughs> Vandal. My goodness god. That is a stacked cat. Rachel Bloom? Put her in anything. Yeah. They're playing the cast and writers of a early 2000s sitcom that is getting a reboot at Hulu. That is the best. If there's not enough self-referential Hulu stuff in Solar Opposites, that is about as much as it gets. That's They're, they're good at that over there at Hulu. And I mean, it's not 30 Rock or anything. It's not brilliant. But it's a nice, pretty funny sitcom with actors I really enjoy watching. And that's really all I can ask for in a sitcom, you know? Yeah, seriously. So... I don't know. Maybe maybe I get to the end of the season and it's crap. But these first three episodes, <laughs> I thought, were really, really funny. Fred Melamond came in in the third episode, and you know I was standing, cheering. <laughs> I was saying Cy Abelman and pounding my chest over and over again. Abelman. That sounds like it's right up my alley. I'm, I'm in kind of a little sitcom kick right now, so I think that might be up on the list there. I... I, I would love to know your full thoughts on the season once you get around to the end to it. But just from the cast alone, that's and the concept, honestly, that sounds really, really funny. But what do you have, Seamus? Well, on a whim the other day, I watched all three Jurassic Park movies in a row. <laughs> all three of them. That's it. Jurassic Park, Garrett. Excuse you. Not Jurassic World, that garbo. Like, I couldn't possibly wreck center. Jurassic Park like the original it's like it's cinema it is truly entirely excited but that's like a perpetual rec center I can't I can't just take on that one but I haven't seen the sequels since I was taking VHS tapes out from the library and I also kind of found out that I don't think I, I think the movie that I thought was Jurassic Park 3 is an entirely different movie because I did not remember a single scene <laughs> from the third one that's awesome I I was furiously Googling as the credits rolled on the third one. Dinosaur movie, 1890s evolution scene or something. Whatever. It was nonsense. I couldn't, I could not find it. But for the life of me, God is my witness. I will find whatever weird movie that I'm remembering. But I digress. Jurassic Park 2 is worse than you remember. You can't you can't have Mal Dr. Malcolm be the main character. I that's just not Jurassic how that works. I remember being the okay one of those two. Well, that's what I remember too, Garrett, when I was misremembering having seen all of them. But <laughs> once I got to Jurassic Park 3, Garrett, that's when it opened back up. They got they got Dr. Dr. Alan Gregory or Dr. Alan Grant I was rather. Say, fake fan. I just watched all of them. I got to process. It is better than I could have ever imagined a Spielberg sequel that had no Spielberg direction in it. I don't want to sound foolish. It is entirely stupid. There are there are plot points that make no sense. That's when they bring in the like velociraptors have intelligent speech. We just discovered that. They're straight up talking oh, to each other. Oh, where they 3D and... print the voice box yeah, and blow yes. into it? Yeah, yes. I remember that. that absolutely ridiculous and there's like a weird like villain half twist that they're not even they're not even wholehearted about so it makes no sense at all and there's a lot of weird stuff about it but it is some peak dinosaur action it blows the action in jurassic park 2 out of the water i 
uh, I really wanted to like the second one, but the third one will somehow live in my mind now forever as like the second out of six movies that is actually like pretty fun to to go in on. So I I you, you got to give it another shot, and maybe the entire time I was doing my little triple feature, I was like, we could marathon. Jurassic Park We've plus Jurassic World. Before. There's not enough, though. We wouldn't be delirious. We watched Jur- all three Jurassic Parks, all three Jurassic Worlds, and then Disney's Dinosaurs as a, as a little dessert finisher. And then that's that's hey, seven UWM movies. Hey, UWM, Zono, and Claudie. Yeah, there worked you on go. That. There you go. But I'm going to wrap it up here. It's it's entirely stupid, but it is better than any Jurassic World movie that has come out. So I, I, I think you should give it another shot. Tia Leone and William H. Macy have no chemistry. <laughs> Tony Soprano's uncle does his best Shia LaBeouf. Uh, also, shout out uh, Mr. Noodle from Elmo's World, who's like the weird mercenary guide in that movie. God, God love him. You said the Jurassic Park 3 action is better than Jurassic Park 2 action. I'm not going to openly dispute that. But Jurassic Park 2 both has the caravan hanging off the side of the cliff sequence, which is awesome. And Godzilla T-Rex rampaging through San Diego. Uh, what for? For somehow, my dumb action movie brain would not let me enjoy the Godzilla T-Rex in downtown San Diego. I was just like, it needs to be in a jungle, Garrett. It needs to be on the island. It needs to be isolation. I'll give it another go. I, guess, I don't hate Jurassic Park 3. I don't hate it nearly as much as I hate Jurassic World. And so it, it, it was in the environment of a triple feature, though, so you have to understand my delirium by the time I got to Jurassic Park 3. But I think that wraps us up for the show this week. If you want to reach the show on social media, it's at PCR underscore podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also reach us on Facebook by searching Pop Culture Reference Podcast. And you can reach the show directly at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Next week? What are we doing next week? We're doing the National Treasure movies, dude. Yo, man, I have already been prepping for that without even realizing it, and I am very excited to get into the Nick Cage of it all. Literally since we started the show, we have been like, when are we going to be able to cover yeah, the National yeah. Treasure movies? Oh, absolutely. For whatever reason, I, the depths of National Treasure are endless, so I think it's going to be it's gonna be an explosive podcast. I've just got one question for you, Seamus. Oh? Could it really be that simple? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, adios, amigos. we got to get out of here before I start pitching my, my third movie.